Hi, this is Dave Pryor for Projects at Work and ProjectManagement.com. You're about to listen to my interview with John LeDrew. We're going to be talking about his new podcast, The Agile Path. So just before we get started, I wanted to give you some of the details that would kind of be important if you're not quite up to speed on that yet. So you can check out John's podcast by going to agilepath.fm. And if you'd like to follow him on Twitter, it's at AgilePathFM. During the interview, you're going to hear John mention some of his upcoming speaking events, and I will include a link in the show notes for this podcast pointing to the page where they're all listed. So you can go to his mob programming workshop or his workshop, Swearing Nudity and Other Vulnerable Positions. Um, he's got a couple other events coming up as well, so I'd encourage you to check that out. All right, and now onto the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Projects at Work. Today, I'm very excited. I'm a little bit in fanboy mode right now. John LeDrew has taken time out of his evening. If you don't know John's name yet, you probably will know it soon, and shame on you for not having heard about the Agile Path yet. But John, thank you for taking time out of your evening. Thanks ever so much, Dave. It's a pleasure. So before we talk about the path, can you talk about your background, just to give these people an idea of who you are, and then we'll talk about why they should know who you are. (laughs) <laughs> so okay so i'm uh, i've been in software engineering in that kind of space for 17 years or so now um i started very young i i was only a, a boy of 16 when i got my first job um i i left school early um i i suffer from dyspraxia so my handwriting was not good enough for the uh, for the uh, english exam board um and as a result i decided not to uh, challenge myself too much with the english exam board and went went my own <laughs> to my own path uh, then and i um i i then spent you know a kind of a a long time dipping about trying to work out really what i wanted to do uh, so i spent some time originally doing you know i was just the 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 whiz kid as we say over here i was just this young 16 year old you know, bratty, somewhat precocious young boy that, that you know, uh, joined a team of sysadmins and we were doing some fun stuff, you know, back then we built a data center and <laughs> did, okay. did some interesting things. Um, so I, I was in work and I was freelancing and I was doing this interesting work that was interesting to begin with and then became uh, mind-numbingly not interesting. Um, and I, I then, uh, kind of decided I just wanted to do, I wanted out uh, after it was probably, I can't actually remember how long it was now. Cause I, it was probably a year or two. I think I was doing that. And I just couldn't do this anymore. I was just like, I just want, you know, this isn't really creative. This is just doing, just you know, churning it out, grinding kind of, it yeah, out. just churning it out. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I was working for myself and I'd really wanted, like, I really was passionate about having my own business and my own kind of the control over my life and that autonomy that that gave me, uh, because I was, <laughs> I wasn't an easy to manage individual for a long time. I just figured I just have, I just have authority issues, yeah. you know, like, like, and, and actually I, I kind of pondered that statement, this idea of what is an authority issue? Wait, I have trouble with people, um, inhibiting my need for autonomy. Well, that's kind of normal. Well, that's basically everyone has a problem with with having your autonomy inhibited because actually autonomy is one of the the core facets of engagement um, that 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 you know that that helps us. The feeling that we have some control over the situation you're in yeah. is a massive uh, a massive effect on how we um, on how well it's both on safety on how safe we feel in a situation, but also on how um, you know on 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 our engagement with the problem that we're faced with and on how engaged we are with the situation. So it's actually kind of like, hang on, wait a second, that, that's not really an authority problem. That's just a human problem, isn't it? It's kind of like maybe some people are just better at, at um, 
inhibiting the fr- the natural frustration they feel when their autonomy is is uh, is being constrained or they're ju- it's just the, the ability to resist has just been beaten out of them for a lot of folks i think i think so i think that there is sadly that is quite true uh, you know negative and horrible environments that that we that make up probably the majority of the the you know that the working environments in in the developed world yeah. are not uh, are, are not conducive to to that kind of thing unfortunately uh, sadly so you go from being this teenage sort of geek hooligan to <laughs> developer and then how do you end up getting into the podcast i was a young 20 year old and i had just met a new girlfriend uh who and i desperately needed to move to manchester to be near her uh, okay. so i managed to get a job as a software engineer again i somehow blagged my way in as a c-sharp engineer i point out i'm not a c-sharp engineer i had done a little bit of visual basic uh back in the day and i knew what visual studio was uh but miraculously i lived for six months as a c-sharp engineer and was actually offered a full-time job after that six wow. months having really not known anything about it but i i just put that down to being an engineer you know when you're an engineer the language you're using really doesn't matter that much and yeah. i had i'd been a software engineer so i was able to apply myself clearly so somehow i i successfully became a c-sharp engineer briefly before departing and heading off to do uh to work as a, a web engineer in um mainly in av- well advertising very briefly and then i got a job as a consultant okay. and i worked as this as a consultant uh, software and consultant software engineer for a company um, called iBuildings, who were then a very, very small company in the UK. I have a lot of love for that company. In fact, I'm speaking at the conference they run <laughs> in uh, in June. And they, uh, so I, I was working for them and I had the opportunity to work around these amazing engineers. These were amazing people in the, this was a, a PHP company, uh, largely. That's the tech stack they followed. And I had got really into this PHP stuff. And uh, suddenly I was sat opposite, you know, one of my colleagues was this core engineer that worked on the language and I had opportunities to go to conferences where I was meeting all of these amazing people that were part of the community. Um, and I learned a great deal in the very short time. I, I mean, you know, I was only there for two and a half years. I point out that in a 17 year career, that two and a half years was the longest I've ever spent being employed. <laughs> so I was working around the uh, the Silicon Roundabout and doing a lot of kind of stuff with some startups. I, I ended up doing just kind of it was sort of con- kind of tech consultancy type work. All of the work I was doing was. It always seemed to be about people like if you're working with a startup or consulting them on how to um, yeah. how to grow, for example. So maybe I'm working with a small startup and they're saying, we've got this money. We've got this money that we've been given by an investor. We, you know, we're lucky enough to have investment. We need to hire some people. How the hell do we hire some people? Well, what they're really saying is, is how do we build a team? Yeah. How do we how do we get a bunch of people to work together? and be effective at that. What structures does that team need to have? What's a good way to do that? Um, and, and all of the problems that they were often asking, they were asking me technical questions, but actually the, the, the answer was almost always people. So I, I was slowly learning through kind of my own consultancy and that work that it was like, hang on, wait a sec. And it was all about people. So, it, but then what was interesting is, is while I was very much aware, so I'd done quite a lot of agile stuff while I was at iBuildings, you know, I was aware of Scrum, I was aware of some of these frameworks and kind of new ways of working um one thing that i hadn't really done and this is up until very recently so um you know last june which feels like about 20 years ago uh, for me now when i think about it 
Um, I'd never actually engaged with the agile community, not really, you know, not, okay. not particularly, you know, not on Twitter, not, not really at all, actually. I just hadn't, you know, I bought a lot of books. I've got this, you know, massive bookshelf full of, <laughs> full of, full of stuff. I'd read the books and I, I knew the ideas and some books I'd read multiple times and other books I had just about got through the first chapter or two. Yeah. Um, but I, I hadn't really engaged with, the community at all so i finally went to i went to the agile manchester conference last year and i um i met woody zool and one of the things with i realized that, that that kind of was amazing to me was that probably was a few months afterwards so i've been working you you've been to leeds i've been working in leeds yeah and uh and i uh and as it happens woody was in was going to be in leeds he was going to do a talk at our local uh group user group there and and he uh you know he's going to be in town and he said hey why don't we meet up for lunch I was like, whoa, what, me? Really? You know, it was all, you know, why yeah. not? Let's meet up. And we, and we were there, and I remember we sat having this conversation, and, and he was showing the most intense interest in the challenges I was facing in the current role yeah. I was in. I was like, this is unbelievable generosity. He's an incredible and, man. And, I, and I'm there listening to this guy, and I'm just like, you know, you're this person that I feel has given me this incredible amount of encouragement since, you know, we've been spoken a lot on, uh, you know, over Twitter and, and kind of connected quite a bit. And and here you are, you know, genuinely listening to, yeah. to the challenge facing in my role with interest, you know, with genuine kind of interest and compassion. And I and it, it just there was a lot of there's an immense amount of generosity. So I I, I was kind of. I, I was inspired by that actually. I've been. I mean, I can take a. You know, I, I've said to, said it to, to Woody. I'm sure he feels uncomfortable every time I I <laughs> every time I say it. You know, but I really did take you know a massive amount of gratitude to, to the the kind of generosity he showed me uh, early on. And we we've met up a lot since. And 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 I found that I then decided for some reason. Uh, you know, a lot of inspiration. I've listened to to your podcast. Actually, I've listened to. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, Ryan Ripley's uh, um, Agile, uh, Agile for Humans and um, Dave Rails, the developer on fire and some of these podcasts. And I listened to a lot and I wanted to produce something. I needed a creative outlet. <laughs> as okay. Well. Um, and I, but I wanted to do a podcast that was sort of different. I wanted to, I kind of had this idea, let's do a podcast. I don't really know why. I'm quite impulsive. It was probably a silly idea. I just but thought, the, what the podcast hell is that you produced is not an impulsive effort. That is I, no. All right, I agree, <laughs> but I think it might have started as one because <laughs> I because people have asked me what inspired you, what started, and really all I thought was is I spent a lot of time. You know, I listened to a, a lot of the podcasts. Um, you NPR, want to make cereal for Adam, right? Uh, yeah. So if you listen to <laughs> NPR, or, or, yeah. I mean, hell, saying these things is a huge compliment because I I listen to that and I hear all, all I hear is is all of the flaws. So I I but I listen to like. You know NPR, the Radiotopia collection of yeah. podcasts. You know um, things like Strangers and things like um, Theory of Everything. Theory of Everything's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. I, I, you know, I love it. Benjamin Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything is is wonderful. Um, obviously, like Ninety Nine Percent Invisible and all the stuff. You know, obviously Serial, This American Life. These things are amazing. It's it's beautiful radio that that is that just fantastic. And yeah. I, I love radio as a form as well. I love the fact that it it's kind of this wonderful interim space between um, 
what you can get when you're watching a movie but actually it's almost like reading with a little extra uh, like people talk about sorry go on i want to interrupt you for one second i want to point something out for the folks that are listening if you if you haven't checked out the podcast or if you do like that what you're describing now is one of the things that stood out to me so much in the first couple minutes of the podcast because you you go through the you know the footsteps and everything else creating this soundscape for everybody to put them in the place that you want them to be to hear the story and I think that's a thing that you know I know the NPR folks focus a lot on that but listeners if you're not aware of it 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 just kind of goes by which I guess is what a sound engineer wants but there's yeah. a lot of care and craft that goes into creating that space yeah they took those little those little snippets make up a very small amount of the audio in the podcast. Um, those those little bits of story that that go in, but they they take by far the most yeah. amount of time. Um, what I love is is that you can really it is a subconscious effort. You're you're sort of tapping into the emotional centers and the experiential centers of the brain that people don't realize that's what you're doing they don't realize they're not going oh that's the sound of a coffee maker when they're thinking that they just they almost intrinsically implicitly expect it because i've just said he presses the button on the coffee machine um and there's a sound of a coffee maker it's just a an expectation it's almost like you're fulfilling the expectation that maybe they would have done in their head anyway but it, it helps build that so it's sort of like for me it's that wonderful space when when you're reading a book and you're reading an amazing novel for me i'm quite I see things very cinematically in my head when I'm reading a, you know, a, a fantastic like a Terry Pratchett novel or something like that. Some of these, the writers I'm drawn to are often quite cinematic writers. And I, I certainly, I hear that drama and I hear the sounds and I see it happening in my mind. I, there's a, a word that, um, there's a fantastic podcast called How Sound by a guy called Rob Rosenthal, who, um, it's a, a collaboration between Transom and PRX. Um, and it's a great, if you're interested in audio creation and radio, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, but they, he, he talks quite a lot about not using music as kind of wallpaper. <laughs> I, I think I possibly wallpapered a little, but I really wanted the music to be a kind of extra character almost. Yeah, that kind well, of it is. It and I, I definitely edited it to be so, but I have a feeling there are times when I, I probably wasn't as precious about the way that it was, it was integrated with the sound. I, as made I was listening to it wondering, like, I wonder how many different tracks he went through before he picked this one and this piece of this one to put. Oh, that was so hard. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about so doing it myself. Hard. Like, you got like 50 different things. You got to pick which one and then figure out you the rights I, to it. And yeah, because I. Because I was, he was working with this album. This is a wonderful album by Austin Wintry, who, you know, he's a, a multiple award winning composer, um, mostly known in the kind of gaming world. He composed the music for all of the the Assassin's Creed games. Oh, wow. Um, but he's done for a number of things. And I, I, um, I initially heard the track that's now the, the kind of the intro and outro music, um, which is by a, a wonderful, uh, well, it was arranged, it's written, it's from the same album, actually. It's it's part of the same uh piece of music but it was a, essentially a cover by the uh composer laura in or composer the flautist laura in travia um and that was her kind of interpretation of one of the tracks on the you know on the the original album that the main album is kind of the music that is the kind of sound tapestry for the most of the most of the main piece okay. and i uh, actually didn't know who he was um but i tweeted um laura and travia saying i really love this track i'd love to use it in the piece you know would you be you know would you be able to grant me permission so there's a whole bunch of uh, work that 
around and issues around the legal legal issues around using music in podcasts yeah uh, because record companies just freak out when they hear the word downloadable downloadable yeah no downloading music is what is destroying our industry i point out to them it's not what's destroying the industry but <laughs> they uh, they they hear the word download they freak out lawyers yeah. start getting jittery and people say the word no a lot uh, or they say the, or they use the, the they they use dollars a lot prefixed by large numbers yeah. um so and either of those options don't really work for a non-profit podcast <laughs> um, my options were limited but i love the idea of using music from either film or or a game soundtrack or something because it would have this kind of cohesive sound to it and i like the idea of kind of almost like having a score you know for the yeah. for the piece but, you know she said oh you know austin wintry is the composer i didn't know who he was but i tweeted him <laughs> um i i tweeted him and said hey what about this he said email me i emailed him um he said yeah sure i don't really make any money with podcasts anyway this is probably one of the easiest pieces of music for me to grant you permission to wait use hold it's, on a it's... second so you found music you like from a video game designer. You asked him if you, you could use it. We had an email exchange, and he basically just said, "Yeah, absolutely, you can you can use it. You can use the album." <laughs> and then and then I I just thought, "Oh, that's cool. That's really that's... awesome." And then I and then I went to his website and was like, "Hang on, wait a sec. This guy is one of the few. He's literally one of the only um, composers to win a Grammy or to be nominated for a Grammy award for com for a computer game soundtrack. It's the only composer. In fact, the only time a game soundtrack has ever been nominated for a Grammy award was was this. So uh, thing. I just I want to um, mention one thing here. So if you if you make <laughs> podcast like your choices for music are either you use that the junk that apple gives you in garage band or <laughs> yeah. or you go into like maker book or you do a search for like yeah. anybody who's just dumping their free music out there and then you've got to pick yeah. it and hope that somebody else hasn't picked it but or you, you had, just you had you the audacity speak. to go ask somebody if you could do something <laughs> you liked and they said yes that's well, weird i guess i i I would say I was very lucky um, and hugely grateful. But yeah, so I I don't know if you're if you're looking to use music, it's a massive challenge. But I found that if you can find music that is that you think is independently produced and just approach these people, just like the thing is, is in a way, I think my fear of approaching people that might say no had kind of gone at the point of a point of when I tweeted out to you know people on my bookshelf, <laughs> basically yeah. saying, hey, do you want to speak to me? And people said yes. That's and cool. then they generously gave their time and I was able to spend time with amazing people that are, you know, that, that, you know, I've, I, I think I've spoken to people that, you know, when I go back to speaking to people like Jerry Weinberg, I've spoken to people for the podcast that have worked in, um, every kind of decade of yeah. the IT industry about 1960 up till now. Um, and that that's really actually was very important to me to kind of get that what real wide kind of gamut of of views. You know, I, I spoke to to Mary uh, Mary Poppendick and and I was chatting to her about isn't uh, I've always loved the fact that for example uh, that the post it notes you know the the mainstay of the the agilist you know what would yeah. we do without that post it notes sharpies and index cards um, we would be lost and uh, and I kind of like the fact that post it notes as many people know you know came about as a result of the kind of uh, their 15% time program they had at 3M when, when yeah. they were created. And she said, oh, yeah, you know, I, the, the guy that invented Post-it Notes was my boss. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> and cool. She, she worked She worked there and she knew, you know, she, she spoke a lot about the, the environment there and what they created. And, and I, you know, it, it's been a, 
it's a fantastic experience and some of the stories that i've heard and the the learning that i've i've had you know yeah. just through this it's, it's been very immersive and quite intense at times because i have done these interviews and you know i i've often been trying to time sync an interview and speaking to people at you know two o'clock in the morning my time or yeah. whatever else um and it, it's but yeah but it, it's kind of it's very it's rewarding kind of amazing oh it's and I, I measure a lot by the learning that I get from things. And crikey, yeah. you know, if, if you measure this by learning, then this is a... <laughs> well, I think there's the learning, but then there's stuff like you get to see how generous... I mean, people like Woody, that that's not just the learning and the experience, but like the type of human being he is. It's just very, to me, it's very inspiring. Well, absolutely. Yeah, and that's so, something that I think we, we should all strive to bring out our yeah. inequities. <laughs> That sounded really inappropriate. Um, it did, but I, yeah, just, maybe edit that one out. I should don't be know, on a yeah. T-shirt. Um, <laughs> so you said in you posted online that you did over sixty hours of recording. I'm it's curious more as than that. well, how many hours of how many episodes are you planning on, and how many hours of editing uh, have you already done? I oh well, because that's the thing that I was listening to, and I'm like, oh my god, that's like months of work. Uh, yeah. So the first, all right. So I would so the first episode was three months late okay um and was i wanted to release it in january i've been working on it since october where i started interviewing um and i i i think i realized actually it wasn't really late but it was more that i want there was a lot of stories that i wanted to get that yeah. i didn't really feel like i'd captured enough you know okay. as the the subject expanded I didn't really know. I, I thought I was going to do one episode on safety and then it sort of slowly grew as I spoke to people. I was like, hang on, wait a sec. This, this is a season. This isn't one episode. You know, this is a longer story. Okay. Um, there is more to tell here than, than I'm going to be able to tell in, you know, in, in 45 minutes or an hour of, of, of yeah. radio. But I, I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I, I imagine we're looking at something around somewhere between six and eight episodes, um, okay. but I'm looking to cover each topic so the next episode is is going to focus on i don't know what it's going to be called yet but it's going to be focused on blame shame and punishment uh as i i joked to someone the other day that sounds a bit you know depressing and i said oh no i'm british that's 45 minutes of pure comedy uh yeah <laughs> uh, so, so so i i i think it'll be the most hilarious episode uh i've done so far there'll be far far more humor in it than than anywhere i mean i'm kind of pretty relaxed there's other things i'm going to be doing so i i started doing a talk so i <laughs> i i had this this silly name for a talk so as you know in the podcast i interviewed the the amazing director Phelan mcdermott you know he's been doing improvised theater for 20 years i knew him because he worked with my father probably about 10 at least 10 years ago um in a show that they do called animo which is an entirely improvised show uh, where they okay. do all kinds of things they mix puppetry and other kinds of performances and i and i like this link between improv and the environment that we create in improv and um and productive teams and kind of creativity um and i I kind of wanted to explore that a bit and he you know he agreed thankfully to <laughs> to, to speak to me and and one, some of the things he said, I mean, you hear him talk in the podcast, he, he's, you know, he's pretty brilliant. What's interesting about um, from him, from an agile perspective, is that actually Phelan's also spent the last 12 years um, as an open space facilitator. Wow. Um, so it's actually very relevant. So I and I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I was literally approached him purely from a uh, from an improvisation perspective. That's all I knew. That's what I knew him for. Yeah. And then I was like, hang on, his Twitter handles open spacer. 
Oh, that's very cool. Wow. How how awesome is that? What a fantastic uh, link. And then I interviewed uh, Diana Larson. And of course, she knows yeah. him. That's great. <laughs> um, admittedly, I think it was more of a, a way of possibly just promoting the podcast, really. I thought, oh, I'm going to maybe I'll, I'll come up with a talk that I can do at local user groups. Yeah. Uh, and I came up with this silly name, which was <laughs> swearing nudity and other vulnerable positions. Um, and and that was mainly it was meant to be, you know, it's probably there's probably a bit of clickbait in there somewhere. But it was mainly just a it was mainly just I, I like the fact that they're all things that make us feel uncomfortable and vulnerable. Um, and that's obviously a key part of kind of safety. These are all things that make us feel uh, awkward. So I came up with this idea. I'm giving it very much constantly at the moment it seems and i i came up with this idea for a talk and a my a guy that runs a, a guy a local agilist called ian carroll that i've done some work with um he uh well he was very encouraging said hey why don't you speak at lean agile manchester and then i and then he said and by the way i run lean agile birmingham lean agile warrington as well some you know kind of cities nearby hey why don't why don't you come and speak there too okay <laughs> i guess i'll do all three fine and then I happened to know the the lady that runs, uh, organizes uh, Agile in Leeds. And she said, oh, yeah, you can do it there, too. OK. And then uh, and then I just thought, oh, you know what? I want practice at this. I was enjoying giving this talk. And I, I and it, this is a talk. If you imagine a talk situation. So this talk loosely summarizes some of the contents of the first episode. OK. But I use improv workshops throughout to create an environment of safety. <laughs> I find it a fantastic analogy for creative work um, and I've paralleled it to lots of things. But what I love is that analogy of of actually what we're doing is is going through the life cycle of a project in a very short period of time. Um, and we to do and to successfully do that, we have to listen to one another. We have to um, we have to be safe contributing. We have to feel safe to be able to stand up in front of people and we have to understand the basic constraints of the environment that we've created as well. And that for me is a wonderful analogy. And what I love is, is at the end of that exercise, people understand what it is to be in a safe environment, in a truly creative, collaborative environment, because that's what everyone in the audience has just been in. All right. Can um, I, can so I, I, can I jump in yes, and ask you a question? Absolutely. Now? Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Right. I no, it's cool. I, I just, <laughs> so I just took an improv class. I noticed when I was doing the interviews last summer at the Agile conference, safety's just become a massive, massive issue in the Agile community. And I'm taking the improv class. And one of the things that I'm trying to draw this parallel to is the safety in a class compared to, you know, what people are saying we want in the workplace. One of the things that I really count on the people I work closely with for is I'm going to throw out ideas and I'm going to do that because I'm around people who I trust their opinion and I value their opinion. And I depend on them to do the opposite of yes and when I need to hear the opposite of yes. And so if I offer up a crap idea, I expect these people to be like, dude, that sucks. Stop. Because that's how I know I need to go in a different direction. And that the thing that I that I struggle with in the improv environment, I get the rules and I get why we have them. But if everyone's yes ending me all the time, how do I know when my ideas are crap? Well, so I, I kind of try to address that a little bit in the in the podcast, um, you know, because I, I think I ask that very question. Um, so the, the and portion is what's important here. It's accepting an idea that comes to you without judgment, but then developing it. it it's finding that. And I think uh, um, Karina uh, Cizona in the, the podcast, you know, it's finding that seed of something. It's unlikely yeah. there is 
there is very unlikely that there's almost no value whatsoever in what that person has said. <laughs> there's something um, in there that's worth digging out. Exactly. And, it, and it's about kind of showing that, again, um, if you approach it without judgment and approach it with curiosity um, and go in kind of with the aim to say, I am going to, it's my mission. My personal mission is to find some value in that kind of shit pile that you just came yeah. up with. Well, that, um, so that's a different kind of safety that, if I know that if I bring an idea to you, regardless of how crap it is, you're going to find the little nugget in there, the one piece of corn yeah. that, we, that we need to find. But that's important. And I, I think that, but that is, that's part of that safe environment is knowing that I can say something and it's not going to be judged. It's going to be taken on the the best intentions that it was intended with. You know, people, people make contributions with the best intentions okay. always. And I think that I, I, I guess, you know what, it might it might possibly slow down the process. It might mean that some of that creative process feels like it might feel like you take, it takes longer. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because you're, you're spending that time exploring the options and, and, and doing that. Um, I would say there's a large difference between efficiency and effectiveness and, we want to aim for the latter and exploring these ideas and allow it. And also it, it's kind of the value of not damaging safety. That is more valuable than making progress and delivering stuff quicker because yeah. we can get, because, you know, your senior engineer knows how to solve this problem. Why the hell are we listening to this junior guy that's just said something stupid? Well, actually, because it's because he probably didn't say something stupid and actually the junior guy probably came up with something and will be approaching the problem from a different angle than the other people might be doing so. And there probably is something good there. You know, you hired these people. Yeah. So listen to, I think um, maybe there's a difference between um, like different kinds of safety. I, to me, I guess I sort of want, and this is just me. I want the idea to be judged but I want it to be judged in a space where I know the people judging the idea aren't judging me. Yeah. That I'm well, going to feel, I, I'm going to feel okay to continue to spew stuff out of my mouth until we find the one good piece. Yeah. I, the thing is, is, you know, when you're, um, if you imagine it, like, I don't know, like a sieve, you know, I say a bunch of stuff and I say, what about this? Okay. And if you're searching for gold, you know, you use a sieve and you're, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. sieve out and you are going to have to throw stuff out. <laughs> yeah you know you are you are there is stuff on the cutting room floor here um and that's okay and that is part of creating that safe environment it's the way that you and, and i think there's a lot of value in the way you choose to communicate we don't spend enough time thinking about the way that we communicate and the words that we use um we make a lot of assumptions about the relationships that we have with other people and and how other people might react to us and we also um, assume that people understand our intentions and our our reasons behind things which they often don't because uh, we often don't communicate our needs and our intentions particularly effectively so that's the important thing really is it's it's about being compassionate and being and showing quite a lot of understanding to to our our fellow peers in the way that we filter out that information um questioning things is fine you know saying i'm not sure about that just just tell me what you were thinking there were you thinking this asking them a question about what they were thinking you know what maybe you might guide them towards realizing their idea isn't that great they won't feel bad about that if that's yeah. the case 
it's something I want to talk about more of <clears throat> in the podcast. I probably have a whole episode to it. Is this concept of paying attention? But but paying attention for me is like um, inner mindfulness. So yeah. you're thinking about how I feel in a circumstance and kind of questioning that and thinking, wait a second, am I feeling safe here? Why do I feel like I can't contribute right now? And having that kind of inner conversation with yeah. yourself, but also but also about understanding and really looking and observing your peers looking at how people are interacting and thinking hang on wait a sec the way that you know the way that mike just spoke to james just then i don't think mike i don't think james was happy about that yeah i don't think i don't you know he was quite he was quite verbal he was quite interactive he was engaged in the meeting and he's not anymore i wonder why that is um, and not you can't necessarily do anything about it. It's certainly not necessarily as an individual team member, but becoming aware and learning to notice those things and observing people and learning to notice and empathize with people. But I think that's really important. This this basic idea of, like I said, of, of making we make assumptions frequently about how pe that people understand what we are saying. I've, been reading quite a lot about the work of uh, Virginia Satir. She's amazing, but she's a was a, a relationship, I suppose, counselor or therapist, a kind of marriage counselor, relationship, family therapist. She talks a lot about these ideas of of how we will go into a communication with a partner or a loved one or a, a team member, and we kind of assume that they understand where we're coming from. <laughs> if yeah. you see what I mean we make this assumption that that they must understand our perspective and they often and actually, don't <laughs> they, they they almost certainly don't because actually if you think practically about it it's like wait a sec have I ever actually explained my needs and my perspective and what I need in a kind of sane calm deliberate way to these people no yeah. <laughs> you know I've never had that conversation so why on earth would they understand me uh, you know just because I've been thinking very loudly about it that's not normally enough uh, in in humans I don't know right. maybe we'll evolve that ability later but but right now you know um you know uh, we don't we don't have that ability you know we, we think we do but actually we you know we, we always talk about oh you know but we can see it in body language and whatever else it's nonsense you know we might read body language but the reality is is that we read body language on a subconscious level and often we that causes us to react negatively you know if people are and we're um, still often, filtering it through our own perception yeah things. It, well absolutely and, and if uh, often if people are feeling defensive for example in the way they communicate with you yeah, because something that you're giving off that will cause you to be defensive subconsciously in your responses to them. So actually, you, you, you're like you could say, yeah, we we've empathized, but you haven't really because all you've done is is the the, the, the shared defensiveness has put you both on guard. Yeah, um, which is facilitating communication. It's not it's not high bandwidth communication anymore. It's it's uh it's quite noisy communication. So there's some of the well safety. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's so a, it's a huge topic, so I don't want to. Uh, no, I no, I, to... I don't, and I don't want you to give things away. <laughs> when you created this, did you actually script it all out? Um. Yeah. So I I didn't originally, and I went through many iterations where I just sort of started winning in and trying to edit it. Um. But actually, now I've realised that was the process. So I love writing, and actually, I found I had a lot of fluidity, and there's a lot of fluidity in my editing when I okay. I work on I work in script form first. So I have a I use a, a I think it's actually like a film writing script um, app called Fade In. Okay. Um, and I, I literally write out the episode. 
Um, And I, you know, each episode, it's, you know, it's roughly sort of 30 pages of scripts, roughly in in an episode, including all of the bits that are, you know, kind of the so much work to do. And you do all this work Um, by yourself. Yeah, it's very much me. But then that's why we're six months late. I don't know whether I, you know, I'd love to work with other people on it. But right now I kind of it's a bit of a a personal journey. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm enjoying doing that. And and actually that the reason why it took a long time was actually the writing is quite quick for me. You know, I, I can get through that quite, it actually didn't take me that long to write at all. Once I got, once I realized that was the tool I wanted to use. Yeah. Um, you know, I struggled, I went through all this kind of, I went through an immediate panic of, I have 60 hours of audio and I have, absolutely yes. no idea how to make sense of it all. Yeah. you know there's messages in here and stories that i want to tell and i kind of remember some of them but i don't remember all of them and i i oh god i don't know what to do so i i sort of loosely index in audition i can mark files up so i tend to sort of edit out the junk yeah kind of loosely just go through each file listen to it edit out the junk and then mark it up with some rough comments so i can okay. kind of remember where bits where i haven't done that in all of the audio yet i was hugely behind because i didn't realize that i didn't realize that was a thing i needed to do if you know what i mean until yeah. i realized i had a problem <laughs> exactly um so you you know uh, i'm getting better at doing that almost immediately after an interview now but i didn't do that before okay. i then kind of will begin to write so i write my bits the introductions and those things and then i i will literally transcribe the audio into it but because obviously the audio is edited so the the way that you will hear it you know i'll I'll kind of cut the old word out or i'll shuffle things around a bit yeah. in the final in the final version because often what you you know you'll hear a a 30 second snippet that may well be a message that a particular person took three minutes to say yep <laughs> if you know what i mean um so there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of quite tight editing, which I hope isn't that visible most of the time. I, no, I, one I, or two I didn't hear it. I think when you're when you're the one doing it, you hear it, but the other people don't hear it. Yeah, and it, I mean, largely, time. I'm I was kind of happy with the way most of it flowed, but it, it's quite so. There's that's why, and you know, there's a general rule: you don't really want unless unless what they're saying is unbelievably engaging. You don't really want there to be more than about thirty or forty seconds. Yeah individually of a kind of a single bit um you know with with the kind of the only exceptions being my kind of closing and those sorts of bits which i i hope kept people engaged enough it's hard to know but you know when you kind of craft uh you know a writing specifically for radio it can be more engaging than hearing someone rambling on like me uh for a long time um you know without, i'll make sure uh, to remember know. that during the editing of this podcast <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. If you can compress everything that I've said in this, I'm imagining down to about ten or fifteen minutes. Oh, that would I'm be sure I'll go yeah. longer than that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite. Yeah, so I do definitely. Right and I that. would. For me, writing was. I mean, that that's also something that I learned. I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts around production, and you realize very much they talk about the writing a lot. Yeah, in radio. that's a big part of the process, um, and that is there's a reason they talk about the writing a lot because the writing is really really important um and i and i didn't realize that when i started i didn't realize that that would be the way for me to work but uh, i've realized that's that's actually the starting point in my process is to is to write it out is to get it there um that begins the editing so when i'm listening to a snippet of audio from you know uh, tim or from um you know arlo belshaw from whoever i'm listening to and i'm thinking about where they fit in that particular scene or that particular portion i kind of break everything down into scenes that are a couple of minutes each that i give a title to so i understand what the goals are for those scenes yeah um and then i kind of 
slot in the speakers and try to work out. It's, I mean, it's very hard finding kind of complementary speakers and yeah. working out how they work. But occasionally, you know, occasionally you have some gems. There's a there's a a scene that I moved into the next episode that's coming that I. I really wish I could have put in this episode, but it was really, it's very much about blame and those sorts of ideas. Well, when will the next episode be ready? That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. (laughs) Oh, did you hear me talking about estimation before? Um, (laughs) You've spent a lot of time with Woody, no estimates. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think think that um, I would like, my goal is to release something every four to six weeks but we'll see how that works in reality um i've got a better rhythm now there's obviously not lots of interviewing to do i've done the bulk of the interviewing certainly for this episode on blame there might be one or two people that i i might be speaking to over the next uh, the next couple of weeks um but next week um i'm going to be doing a live um a live hangout with um hopefully with joanna rothman tim ottinger lisa crispin and amatai schleier basically kind of like a, a kind of analysis of the episode kind of what they learned Ooh. from it so so i'm going to be running those after each episode so sort of a week or two after each episode's released i'll be doing this kind of what i'll call the retrospective <laughs> entertaining. okay i just want to make sure i get it they can listen to the agile path they can go to agilepath.fm okay and at agilepathfm on twitter I'm segueing now because I want to ask you my last question. <laughs> oh, sure. Favorite piece of recording equipment? Ha. Uh, oh, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one I've got. So I've got my... Oh, there it is. My little... So my little Sony... Uh, not Sony. What is it? Not Sony. My little H4N. You got an H4. Okay. H4N, uh, which is which I got because it was cheaper than the H5 or the H6. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's the H4N, which is apparently slightly better. It stands for N. You know, N in technology is next generation. So it's <laughs> it's slightly better than the other one. I mean, that's been wonderful. Uh, you know, that that hooked up to, I point out, people often complain about, uh, I use condenser mics almost exclusively because they're slightly better for recording, I find, for for voice recording they seem okay. to presently they pick up my voice but the they're always they need shadow power and that thing runs on two double a batteries and it yeah. doesn't last long when you if you're micing two people up at the same time and you've got you know two of two of these things going yeah. <laughs> connected up um but you just uh there's a i've got for you know four pounds i got like a little usb adapter that plugs into that and you connect it up to this usb power block and it lasts for hours oh <laughs> so, cool that triplet, that little connection, that okay. little collection of technology has been, yeah, definitely my favorite piece of recording. But then I, but then at the same time, for me, um, when I was editing, having yeah. edited on the kind of crappy sound card that my my laptop or, or iMac had, and then discovering I, I got a, a focus, I think it's called the Focusrite Scarlet 2i2. And that is a little audio interface. Uh, when you finally you know when you finally connect up your microphone to something that actually sounds good oh, like a digital audio converter your, your, yeah yeah it's a, it's a basically it's just a usb interface but it has two xlr inputs it provides yeah, phantom yeah. so i can run my mic off it and i can record it you know well well above i mean you can record at something like 192 you know hertz if you want to i i tend to record my my voice stuff at 96 and then mix down to a lower rate when i'm doing it but it okay. it it just gives like just the like the clarity that that gave me when i was listening back to the edit yeah and doing production some of the pieces and just that suddenly and what's funny is that you know what the reality and the unfortunate truth for me is that 
in reality, no one but me can hear the difference. Doesn't matter, man. It's in there. Between 44 hertz and 96. Doesn't but matter. I, I could hear it. And you I can hear it. Amazing. That's all that so matters. For, for me, yeah. So for me, that was like an epiphany when I first plugged that thing in and listened back to it. It was mainly an epiphany of, oh, my God, this sounds terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it was still an epiphany and it, and it helped me. It certainly helped me. So, yeah. So I, I, anyone doing the doing podcasting that they're not that expensive you know that buying a portable recorder like that and yeah. and a focus right you're looking at maybe spending i mean i don't know it's probably a few hundred dollars in total you yeah. know what i mean for all of the kit and i found also that that this old microphone so this microphone i bought years ago what is it it's not even a yeti it's a behringer it's no, no this is a oh that's a real micro really like... you have a real microphone yeah, so both the XLR on it. Yeah, both of them are XLRs, but they. So this is the Behringer C1, which is not a very expensive microphone. But the that I actually ended up, I I fell out of love with it. But when I first recorded it, it's funny. I first recorded a lot of my narration with that one, and this was a newer mic. This is a newer one, but I I thought that it sounded better, and actually it it's probably a bit old, and it's probably I think the diaphragm is a bit damaged, but it made my voice sound quite a bit deeper <laughs> and quite a bit more uh kind of like a bit more noiry yeah and i uh and i i like that <laughs> the first time because because obviously i hate the sound i hate the sound i hate listening i hate editing my own voice uh there's too much kind of weird uncanny alley uh, uh, nobody voice. hears that but you i know i know but but that's the that's yeah the, that's the, the reality of it. But that microphone made it sound a little more like what I hear in my head, you know, that kind of <laughs> the kind of deeper resonance that you don't get outside of your outside of your head that everyone else uh, hears. So it yeah. was yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. I uh, I enjoyed getting the uh, so that that so yeah, so I can't use that mic, but that was my favorite for a little while until I realized what it was really doing. So <laughs> 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 be, we better leave it there. I, I've been well, such a pleasure talking to you today. No, this is great. I really appreciate you giving me so much time and and sharing all oh, this stuff. And Bye. And the podcast is brilliant. So thank you for doing that. Thanks a lot, Dave. Cool. Cheers. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.